Hi, welcome to a mathematical basis for reality. Chris, I think you should tell them that Physical Truth is a book on mathematics and philosophy, and that it's a good story. This is kind of a rare event. I'm in the Bouchard Gardens in Victoria, one of the most beautiful places in the world. And usually, I guess it closes around 4. Right now, it's about uh, uh, 6.48. And uh, it's a Friday night, evening. And everyone's gone home. But there's a ship coming in, a late ship, a cruise ship, which means you're keeping open until 10 o'clock at night. And no kidding, I'm among all these beautiful flowers and fountains and so forth, and there is literally no one in the Bouchard Gardens. I have the entire Bouchard Gardens to myself uh, for hours until the ship comes in, which I think is going to be about 9 o'clock, in which case I'll have to share it with all these people who have come in on a cruise ship. I'm reading now from the Senate of Canada uh, Committee uh, report on the relationship between Indigenous peoples and Canada, uh, going through the table of contents, uh, flipping through it, and what is this called? A relationship between Indigenous peoples and Canada. Uh, Okay, this is by committee, and the relationship, this is looking for a new relationship between Indigenous peoples in Canada, and the committee membership is uh, the Honourable Senators Lillian Deck, who's the chair, Scott Tennis, who's the deputy chair, Daniel Christmas, Mary Coyle, Norman Doyle, Brian Francis, Patty LeBouchan Benson, Sandra Lovelace Nicholas, Mary Jane McCallum, Thomas McInnes, Mary Lou McFedrin, Tan Hyde Kim Patton, or Pate, Dennis Patterson, Donald Platt, the ex officio members of the committee, Honorable Peter Harbour, PC, uh, or the Honorable Diane Belmare, or the Honorable Grant Mitchell, the Honorable Larry Smith, or the Honorable Yonah Martin. Honorable Joseph Day or the Honorable Terry Mercer, the Honorable Yuen Pao Wu or the Honorable Raymond Saint Germain. Other senators who have, pen, uh, who have participated in the study the Honorable Senators Bayek, Boniface, Brazo, Inverga, Hartling, Manning, Martin, McIntyre, Maggie, O, Rian, uh, Rain, Sinclair, and Watt. Parliamentary Information and Research Services, Library of Parliament, Brittany Collier, Analyst. Senate Committee's Directorate, uh, Marielle Obey, Clerk of the Committee, Mark Palmer, Clerk of the Committee, Tracy Amendola, Administrative Assistant, Elda Donnelly, Administrative Assistant. The Senate Communications Directorate is Siafra McAllister, Communications Officer. This is called The Relationship Between Indigenous Peoples in Canada. 
Order of Reference. Extract from the Journals of the Senate, Thursday, December the 15th, 2016. The Honorable Senator Dick moved, seconded by the Honorable Senator Watt, that the Standing Committee on Aboriginal Peoples be authorized to examine and report on a new relationship between Canada and First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples, including, but not limited to, A, the history of the relationship between Indigenous peoples and newcomers, B, the main principles of a new relationship, and C, the application of these principles to specific issues affecting Indigenous people in Canada. That the committee submit its final report no later than October the 31st, 2018, and that the committee retain all powers necessary to publicize its finding for 180 days after the tabling of the final report. After debate, the question being put on the motion, it was adopted. Charles Robert Clerk of the Senate, extract from the journals of the Senate of Wednesday, October 3rd, 2018. The Honorable Senator Dick moved, seconded by the Honorable Senator Lovelace Nicholas. That, notwithstanding the order of the Senate adopted on Thursday, December 15, 2016, the date for the final report of the Standing Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples in relation to its study on the new relationship between Canada and First Nations, Inuit and Métis peoples be extended from October 31st, 2018 to September 28th, 2019. The question being put on the motion, it was adopted. Richard Dennis Clerk of the Senate. Note to the reader. In December 2016, the Standing Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples, the committee, agreed to undertake an ambitious three-part study to identify concrete steps that the federal government could take to move towards a new relationship with First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. For more than 150 years, Canadian policies and legislation attempted to control Indigenous peoples and decimate their cultures, ways of life, and governance structures. The intergenerational legacy of these policies continues to have a long-lasting impact on the lives of Indigenous peoples, families, and communities, and has led to significant gaps in well-being between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. I guess that's a fairly obvious statement, although um, I think it's a little <clears throat> more powerful language could have been used. Nevertheless, moving on, understanding this history is important to avoid making the same mistakes and to provide us with an opportunity to chart a path for a more equitable relationship in the future. For these reasons, the committee believed that it was necessary to begin the first phase of the study by exploring the past. This interim report provides a non-exhaustive account of the history of the relationship between First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples in Canada based primarily on witness testimony from a diverse group of over 50 witnesses. Only 50 witnesses. That really stands out. 
The committee wishes to thank all those who contributed to this study. Importantly, we also acknowledge the voices raised in the past to make this history known and the work of other committees and commissions. In this report, for the most part, only events discussed by witnesses have been included in this document. The committee recognizes that each group has its own history and where possible and raised by witnesses, local and regional variations are incorporated into this report. Additional information, including all of the testimony and briefs, is available on the committee's website. This interim report is accompanied by a concise timeline which summarizes the events detailed in the report. It is available at info.sencanada.ca slash new relationship dash phase dash one. Read it again. Info.sencanada.ca slash new relationship dash phase dash one. The number one. This interim report is intended to lay the foundation for the final report to follow, which will focus on the findings from the second and third phases of our study. These phases aim to explore the principles and vision for the way forward and to provide insight into what the new relationship could look like in several areas prioritized by Indigenous peoples themselves. The final report will identify concrete steps that could be taken to move towards a new relationship between and a better future for Indigenous peoples, Canada, and all Canadians. The next chapter is glossary of key terms used throughout the report. The committee recognizes that Indigenous peoples have their own terms to identify their nations, communities, and peoples and where possible, these have been included throughout the report. However, in some cases, general terms were used to describe aspects of the history of relationship affecting several Indigenous communities. The following glossary provides a guide for general terms used throughout this report. Okay, so we're going in the actual definitions of what they're using and what they mean by. Aboriginal peoples under the words Aboriginal peoples, they define Aboriginal peoples as, quote, Section 35.2 of the Constitution Act 1982 defines the Aboriginal peoples of Canada as including, quote, the Indian, Inuit, and Métis peoples, end quote. Accordingly, Aboriginal peoples is often used as an all-encompassing term that includes First Nations, bracket, Indians, bracket, Inuit, and the Métis. Close quote. Uh, there is a footnote number one, which I will read later. Uh, next, the definition of indigenous peoples. For many years, the term, quote, indigenous peoples, end quote, was used primarily in the international context. In Canada, over the past few years, the term, quote, indigenous, end quote, is often used interchangeably with, quote, Aboriginal, quote. This shift in domestic usage relates in part to the adoption of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples by the United Nations General Assembly in 2007. While four countries, including Canada, initially voted in opposition to the declaration, they have since reversed their positions. Uh, we've got footnote number two and footnote number three. 
In May 2016, Canada became a full supporter of the Declaration. However, we don't know how they've defined Indigenous peoples. So we continue. And they now talk about First Nation. So we will try and find out how they are defining First Nation. Quote, First Nation, quote, refers to both status and non-status Indians. Quote, First Nation and First Nation community are also frequently used in place of the term band provided in the Indian Act, with many communities altering their names to reflect this preference. End quote. Footnote number four. They are saying there is no legal definition for First Nation. So they're saying First Nation, I guess, is now left as undefined, and they're stating there's no legal definition for First Nation. Status Indians. Status Indians are people who are registered or entitled to be registered as Indians in accordance with the provisions of the Indian Act. Eligibility rules for this reg registration have frequently changed since the first Indian Act was passed in 1876. However, I take it they're using their definition as the present regulations or whichever. Uh, status Indians is pretty well defined legally. Next statement, non-status Indians. First Nations individuals who are not entitled to be registered or who lost their status under the Indian Act are referred to as non-status Indians. However, we looked here that First Nations individuals is undefined, so it's a little loose here. We next go to the next statement, Inuit. Quote, Inuit are a circumpolar people who live primarily in four regions of Canada. The Nunavut Territory, Nunavik, Nunatsiavut, and the Inuvialuit, I've got to pronounce that correctly, Inuvialuit, Inuvialuit Settlement Region Collectively. Is there an end quote there, a quote? No. Yes, there was an open quote. There was an open quote, Inuit, quote, Inuit are a circumpolar people, etc. So we have footnote number one, uh, Tiona Simon, etc. I'll get back to the footnotes. It continues on uh, the Nunavik, Nunatsiavut, and the Inuvialuit, and of course, uh, Nunavut territory, uh, known as Inuit, <coughs> Nunangat, Inuit, Nunangat. <clears throat> Inuk is a singular form of Inuit and is used when referring to a single individual. End quote, footnote number five. Uh, because the footnotes are here, I'll read out the footnotes. Footnote number one, uh, Tony, Tonina uh, Simeon, Indigenous Peoples Terminology and Identity, Library of Parliament, Hell Note, 14 December 2015. Footnote two is Ibid, footnote three is Ibid, and footnote four is Ibid. We're moving on. Metis. There is no uniformly accepted definition of Metis. Some describe the Metis people as descendants of the historic Metis nation, including those persons whose ancestors inhabited western and northern Canada and received land grants and or scrip. A broader definition includes all persons of mixed Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal ancestry who identify themselves as Metis. Footnote number six. I guess with Métis, they're using self-declaration for Métis, 
And it's a pity they don't use self-declaration for everybody else. Nevertheless, moving on, Aboriginal rights. Aboriginal rights refer to the practices, traditions, and customs, quote, integral to the distinctive culture, quote, seven, uh, footnote seven, of indigenous peoples. The hunting, trapping, and fishing rights of certain indigenous peoples are examples of Aboriginal rights. Aboriginal rights vary from group to group depending on the customs, practices, and traditions that have formed part of their distinctive cultures. Aboriginal rights are protected under Section 35, the Constitution Act, 1982. And also they are listed, uh, uh, are, are listed specifically in the um, Royal Proclamation of 1763, which is a part of the BNA Act and a part of our Constitution, but that doesn't seem to be mentioned here. Second, treaty rights. Treaty rights are recognized and affirmed through Section 35 of the Constitution Act. We're gonna to have to look up Section 35, 1982, and refer to the rights set out in either pre-1975 treaties or comprehensive land claim agreements between Aboriginal people and the Crown. So I'll read that again. Treaty rights are recognized and affirmed through Section 35 of the Constitution Act, 1982 and referred to rights set out in either pre-1975 treaties or comprehensive land claims agreements between Aboriginal people and the Crown. Moving on. Next title is Executive Summary. <clears throat> For more than 150 years, the Crown used policies and legislation to attempt to assimilate Indigenous peoples into Canadian society and disposes them of their lands. And I'll get back to you, that's an important call, just came through. Okay, I'm in a different location today. Uh, it's, uh, it's morning, and um, yesterday, uh, as we went into the evening at Bouchard Gardens, we got a, I just got a text from a father who's, uh, uh, making a reconnection with his daughter. I've sort of always been connected with her. Uh, she's in the hospital. Uh, she hanged herself last uh, September. I think I've mentioned this before. Uh, she's uh, still struggling uh, to remain with us. She's slowly getting better. Uh, but it's going to take years and years, and she will probably be a, a paraplegic for the rest of her life while we try and train her and bring her back into, uh, into being uh, able uh, to participate and have some sort of life. Uh, she's a native girl who uh, uh, was going through the reserve school system, which is uh, absolutely deplorable. And I'm um, really unable to talk to it because the anger in me is just too great. So I'll try and get through this uh, executive summary from the Senate. Uh, I sometimes add my own comments in here. I think the whole thing's a tra uh, complete travesty and the Senate should be, uh, be totally ashamed of itself for what they've put out here. Anyway, I'll continue. So we've got executive summary. For more than 150 years, the Crown used policies and legislation to attempt to assimilate Indigenous peoples into Canadian society and dispossess them of their lands. Uh, I find that statement remarkably pan-native. 
As a part of this approach, Indigenous peoples were removed from their homelands and their district culture and their distinct cultures, systems of governance, institutions, laws, and ways of life were undermined. Today, Indigenous peoples continue to live with the legacy of these of these policies uh, and continue with the legacy of it. And they're still under it and are actively working to rebuild, revitalize, and gain control over their communities. It kind of sounds like, you know, things have turned around. They certainly haven't. They're even worse and probably worse than they've ever been. However, many indigenous communities are impeded from regaining control over their communities by federal legislation and policies. The Indian Act, with its roots in the colonial policies of the 19th century, continues to regulate many aspects of the lives of First Nations people. Federal funding of programs and services continues to be inadequate, leaving First Nations, Inuit, and Métis communities with ongoing crisis. While some indigenous groups have successfully regained control over their communities, they have, huh, all right, by asserting their sovereignty or signing modern treaties, for many of these options remaining out of reach. Oh, I see. So if you sign a modern treaty, you're therefore okay. The relationship between indigenous peoples in Canada must change to ensure that indigenous communities can determine their own, feature, uh, their own futures. So the relationship between indigenous peoples in Canada must change to ensure that indigenous communities can determine their own futures. It's more than just the indigenous communities, it's Canada at large needs to change. In 2015, the federal government committed to a renewed relationship with indigenous peoples. Uh, now, from the footnotes, there's footnotes 5 is Ibid's, footnote 6 is Ibid, footnote 7, Supreme Court of Canada, R.V. Vanderpeet, 1996 to SCR 507. In December 2016, building on the work of previous commissions and studies, the Standing Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples, the committee, embarked on an ambitious study in order to provide recommendations and identify steps that the federal government could take to move towards a new relationship. I think they did it in secret, to be tell you the truth. Anyway, this uh, interim report includes what the committee heard in the first phase of the study, which explored the history of the relationship between Indigenous peoples and Canada. Initially, we anticipated this work would take a few months, but we soon realized that much more time was necessary to explore the diverse histories and experiences of Indigenous peoples and to understand the complex intergenerational legacy of past policy that continues to affect Indigenous peoples today. This is where it gets really wild. Over 50 witnesses, 50, is that all? 50 witnesses, including indigenous, oh, including indigenous peoples and communities. So of the 50 people, not all were indigenous people or First Nations people. But they're talking, including indigenous peoples, elders, youth, and academics. Academics, right. Testified before the committee and shared the stories captured in this interim report. Witnesses highlighted the unique First Nations, Inuit, and Métis histories and relationships with the Crown. To honor these differences, this report is organized by Indigenous Group. For First Nations, the history of the relationship tells the story of governing independent peoples who... Okay, uh, missed that one. For First Nations, the history of the relationship tells the story of self-governing independent peoples who became wards of the state in a few hundred years. While initial relationships between First Nations and Crown were cooperative in the 1800s, 
those relationships changed to obtain access to First Nations lands that it believed were needed uh, for settlement and development to support an expanding agricultural economy, the Crown took a contradictory approach. On the one hand, signaling a return to early cooperative relationships, the Crown signed nation-to-nation -nation treaties with First Nations. At the same time, contrary to the treaties, the Crown implemented legislation and policies needed to assimilate First Nations into Canadian society and dispossess them of their lands. These policies have continued into the present, continuing to an ongoing legacy of intergenerational trauma. In response to Crown actions, First Nations have actively fought through protests, petitions and the courts for the recognition of their rights and protection of their homelands. Over time, these efforts have contributed to changes in federal legislation, policies and programs, but not very much. The history of the relationship between the Métis and the Crown is characterized by conflict. Okay, the history of the relationship between the Métis and the Crown is characterized by conflict, dispossession, exclusion, and resistance. Initially, the influence and role of the Métis in the fur trade and Métis resistance to protect their lands led by the Crown to recognize the Métis as a group with collective rights to land. However, this approach shifted over time as the Crown ceased to recognize the Métis as an indigenous group and emphasize individual land rights in an attempt to dismiss Métis claims to land. In 1885, Métis resistance to an influx of settlers on their lands led to punishment by the Crown and the execution of their leader, Louis Riel. Uh, it led to punishment by the Crown. It led to a civil war. All right. Together, the loss of their leader and the process of allocating lands to individuals contributed to the marginalization and exclusion of the Métis, along with the loss of most of their lands. Métis exclusion persisted for many years. Although Métis experienced the policies of assimilation, such as residential schools, they were consistently excluded from any redress. In response, Métis have continued to fight for recognition of their rights in the courts and through advocacy, often with considerable success. Actually, uh, I don't know about considerable success because just recently, uh, Métis in a Supreme Court case um, were granted rights under the Indian Act. Now, the relationship between... Uh, sorry, beginning as early as the mid-1500s, the Inuit played a pivotal role in early encounters with Europeans by trading and by working as guides and interpreters. However, compared to other indigenous groups, the relationship between Inuit and the Crown developed more recently. This is because more and more oil is being discovered up in the Arctic. The Crown's ignorance and neglect of Inuit shaped the relationship since the Crown applied policies devised in the South to the Inuit without consultation, explanation, or translation. These policies greatly affected Inuit families, cultures, lands, languages, and well-being. The Crown consistently acted in its own interest to implement the policies of assimilation, including relocations, residential schools, and moving Inuit off the land into permanent settlements. I wish they'd hang away from this attack against, if you like, the crown or treating the crown uh, or personifying the crown or um, anthropomorphizing uh, the institution um, and believing that it has you know, some sort of nefarious um, sort of action to it. Basically, we're talking about bureaucrats. 
Um, and I think they're just including bureaucrats as the crown. I have major problems with trying to associate bureaucrats with the, count, with the crown or even senators with the crown, to be completely honest. Um, okay, we'll go on. Similar to other indigenous groups, Inuit were affected by these changes, disrupted their way of life, and contributed to an ongoing legacy of intergenerational trauma. Inuit actively resisted the Crown's involvement in their lives and their lands. Today, all four Inuit regions have concluded modern treaties with the Crown, paving the way for their independence. I did not know that the Inuit don't want to be Canadians anymore and are striving for independence or for an independent nation. That is brand new news, and that's a big thing. I, uh, I have a few uh, red flags starting to come up over that one. Indigenous elders reminded us this history is not a common narrative. Most Canadians remain unfamiliar with the story of the relationship between Canada and Indigenous communities. We hope that this report continues to ongoing work to reshape the understanding of Canadian history, which must include Indigenous peoples telling their stories. We believe that understanding the past, it is possible to lay the foundation for a better future between Indigenous peoples and Canada. Okay, well, we'll leave out the War of 1812 and Tecumseh. Uh, we'll leave out the alliance between the, the British and Native peoples, uh, also the history of Six Nations. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's missing here. Uh, also, some of the history that happened uh, between the Blackfoot and the Mounties. Uh, it, this looks like um, a, a, a very, very biased um, executive summary. I'm going to have to be picking this up at a later time. Uh, I'm starting to get sort of off track and make comments and other things like that. I'm with uh, some people, a uh, wonderful Métis lady, uh, who also feels pretty well the same thing, and one of her mates, uh, she's um, in the armed forces, I believe she's Métis, um, who is saying as well, and um, she was just going up one side of this report and down the other because of the travesty that it is. It appears mostly the, the Senate thinks we're living in the United States or something, or think that we have this history with First Nations people that is like American or uh, with the United States. It was completely different. Uh, there are many times when uh, the British and Native people were united in defending our homeland against invasions from the United States. Uh, there have been other times we set up defensive uh, positions uh, in an alliance with Native people. We also see that the Senate continually refers to the Crown as some sort of evil entity, when in reality, um, George III in Royal Proclamation 1763 gave uh, um, sovereignty uh, to Native peoples who had their own countries, had their own armies, had uh, their own courts, had their own uh, legislatures um, and ways of living uh, long before uh, the Europeans even made contact with, uh, with North America. All of this is completely gone. There was no Canada. There were a bunch of different countries, Upper Canada, Lower Canada, there's Blackfoot Confederacy, God knows how many countries in the West Coast, the Haida, um, the Coast Salish were a number of different territories, um, but had their own parliament, and their, had their own government. Um, the 
Quark youth living for well over 50,000 years with a fully developed uh, culture, country, territories. So there's all these different countries. There was no Canada. Canada is the result of uh, a result of a, of a, a dream by Cree women, uh, their French Canadian fur trading husbands, and uh, the Hudson's Bay Company. I guess if we want to water it down to the most basic form, that we'll just have one great big nation from sea to sea. Um, later on, uh, and not that much later on, the establishment of this in the BNA Act. Uh, completely ignored, uh, the, the, uh, ignored the rights and, and contributions and everything of that Native people are Canada. And it's what Canada is with both uh, Native and non-Native peoples. And the Senate has ignored what Canada is. It's This is a trivialization. It's a total red herring. And it's absolute neoliberal nonsense is, is what it is with... Uh, this is just a terrible thing. So I'll make more comments as we go along, and I'll continue it later. Um, I'm taking a look. If we're going to really in reforming a relationship between Native and non-Native people in Canada, means we're going to re we're going to rethink our country. We're going to rethink of what Canada is. And right now, all we see that Canada is nothing more than a bunch of displaced Europeans that don't want to be Americans, and that's really all we are. Where is our heritage? Where, uh, you know, who are we as Canadians? And if we ask ourselves, who are we as Canadians? And we remove ourselves from the people of the earth, from, from who welcomed us when we came here, from taking a look at the travesty and, and uh, injustice and the horrors that, that have occurred over the last 120 years or 150 years and uh, this injustice needs to be in some way remembered and in some way you know, bring us forward to where we are now. There's nothing in the pretty well the, the state of where we are now as a nation uh, that is anywhere in this report. And yet, this is in reality taking a look at our Constitution and who we are as Canadians. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked what you heard, you may subscribe in your podcast provider and perhaps share in various social media sites. Bruce has promised he won't change the links anymore and screw up trying to find the next episode. Please enjoy the rest of your day and may everything work out for the best. We try to have a new podcast every Saturday, so see you next week.